We've been journeying through the book of Genesis, uh, and, uh, and we've been looking at the story of Noah recently and God's covenant through Noah last week. And, and this week is the last we hear about Noah uh, and his life. And it's, uh, it's basically like every fairy tale you ever imagined kind of wrapped up with a bow on it, as you're going to see. Uh, not. It's not like that at all. But what it demonstrates to us is the, the, the faithfulness of a God whose love never changes. Um, so my question to you as we start this morning is this, how do you quantify living by faith? How do you, how do you, how do you qualify or quantify personally if you're living and walking by faith or not? Because I think it's a, it's a, hard, it's a, it's a, it's a challenging thing for us to get our, kind of our minds around what it means to actually walk and live by faith. There's a, uh, there's a story about a, a, a guy that was a, a tightrope walker that walked across Niagara Falls. Now, in the first service, I said that, that basically, I was saying that the Canadian border was, uh, was the best place to go, and I accidentally said the Grand Canyon instead. And so you can imagine the fact that if the, the, part of the congregation was assuming that I was thinking that the Canadian Empire extended now to the western part of the United States. That, that's not what I'm saying here today, but... It was, uh, it was quite the, uh, the uproar. Um, so imagine a tightrope stretched across Niagara Falls. Okay, and, and this tightrope has, a, has a, a guy walking across it, 1859, summer, July sometime. And this guy's name is, is, is Charles Blondin. Now what Charles Blondin begins to do is he walks across the line first. It's, it's a pretty miraculous thing to watch, right? Everybody's watching it. And then he walks across it backwards. And then if that's not enough, he grabs a pair of stilts and he walks across the tightrope with stilts on. And if that's not enough, he grabs a bicycle, bikes across this, and then just for, for giggles, because he's getting hungry, he takes a stove out on the tightrope and cooks an omelet while he's standing on it. The last thing he does is he grabs a wheelbarrow and he takes it across the line and he says, he says to the crowd, he says, who here thinks that I can push someone in this wheelbarrow across this tightrope? What do you think they said? Me, 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 right? I've seen you do all these other things. And then he asked the question that we're going to spend the rest of our time answering today. Who wants to get in? And what do you think they said? Not me. You see, there's a difference in looking at someone. There's a difference in looking at this man pushing a wheelbarrow across. And there's, a, there's another difference in actually being in the wheelbarrow and trusting him. And that's the difference, I think, between the life, uh, the, the life of looking at faith and then living in faith. Uh, you know, so we're talking about, it's the difference in God's word just being nice and it being life. It's, it's the difference in Jesus raising from the dead and believing that, and then believing that Jesus raised you from the dead. There's a difference in those things. And this is where the story of, of Noah's life takes us today. And, and to get a little creative, um, we are gonna, I'm going to let you choose your own big idea this morning. Those of you that have been here with us know that I, I'm a big idea preacher, and what that means is, is that when we kind of carve out a text and we look at it, I try to really, really uh, bring it down to one point that you could take away. And this morning, I'm going to let you choose your own. So on one side of the ditch, here's kind of the first big idea. It's this, that the heart of sinners is more important than the sin of sinners. So you might select this big idea for yourself this morning if you're someone who struggles with unrighteousness. And what I mean by that is, is you're someone who, who, when you think about your life and the sum total of your sins, you think, man, God could never love me. God could never use me. 
He'll never forgive me. That can't be true. And you just live in shame and guilt. If that's kind of the way that you lean this morning, this is your big idea. Now, on the other side of this ditch over here, because there's always two ditches, there is there, th- this other big idea. It's, it's, it's really a big idea for those that maybe struggle more with self-righteousness. And here's that big idea, that the heart of righteousness is more important than the righteousness of the righteous, all right? So, so whether it, your focus is on your sin or on your righteousness, the point is this, it doesn't matter. It's all about Jesus. So let's dig in today now that you've got your big idea locked and loaded. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 9, verses 18 through 29. So why don't you flip open to verse 18. I'm going to walk through this uh, pretty, pretty slowly, and then we're going to have one big point that I'm going to try to make, all right? So here we go. Genesis 9, 18 and 19 says this. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these, the people of the whole earth were dispersed. So what's just happened is, is that God has made this incredible covenant with Noah, that, and through Noah to the whole world, that he will not destroy the world with the flood again, that he will not be so angry as to not show some type of grace to the world. And, and the people that are on this ark, are, are, there's eight of them total, Noah, his wife, and his three boys and their wives, and they get off the ark. And, and, uh, and the Bible is concerned, remember this, the Bible is concerned with connecting Adam to Jesus because Jesus is the second Adam. He's the one that actually gets the job done for us. And so whenever you, you read those lists of names in the Bible that you're like, ah, I'm just going to skip over that, right? I don't need to read that genealogy. Remember that those names are all connecting us to Jesus. That that's the reason that they're there. And so you see this even in Genesis 5 that we, we looked at a few weeks ago. So... Um, so you would think that now that all of those bad people that were populating the earth before the flood came out and wiped them all out, you would think that the earth would be such a great place now that we'll actually get to experience heaven on earth, right? We got rid of all the bad people that were doing all the bad things. We've got the good guys in the boat. They're getting out of the boat. You would think heaven would be on earth, but that's not what happens, is it? Now that all those bad people were wiped out and all those terrible political systems and licentious people and things that have been done away with, we'll experience this perfected world. But the reason, and and what I'm about to read for you is the reason that you should never trust yourself to be able to hold your life together. Because it is possible to see God move in the swiftest ways to bring justice into the world and fall into the same sin. Amen, you hear me? All right, let's, let's read this, because here's where everything is really exposed for us. Verse 20, Noah began to be a man of the soil. So once again, that's connecting Noah to Adam. Adam was a man of the soil. Noah is now a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. Now, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a, a vineyard kind of guy. I'm not a wine connoisseur, but I think it takes a little bit of time for stuff to ferment and for wine to happen. So I don't know how much time passes. I don't know if this is like, you know, out of, you know, out of uh, East of Eden, you know, wineries, you know, 10-year bottle or whatever, but it's, 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 a, it's a wine that's fermented. It's a real wine. And, and, and what happens here is that Noah, verse 20, began to be man of the soil. He plants a vineyard. He drinks the wine of the vineyard. He becomes drunk and lays uncovered in his tent. Things were supposed to get better, weren't they? So this man recently watched all of these sinful, many of them drunkards, drowned in a flood. 
And he is rescued, and now he's doing the exact same thing that God swiftly pursued justice with these folks on. Sin's consequences cannot keep you from sinning. Do you know that? Sin, just, just the sheer fact that there'll be consequences for your sin, it'll never motivate you enough to not sin. But that's what this story shows us. So when you read this passage, do you stop here and say, my goodness, Noah, what have you done, you sinner? Why does the Bible not pay more attention to the drunkenness of Noah? I mean, why, why does God not curse Noah? I mean, after all, he really blew it. He's a man without self-control. And the Bible says that if you're a person without self-control, you're like a city with the walls that are broken down. Like that's what that type of person is like. But if we only talk about how bad the sin of Noah is here, if we only talk about that, we will completely miss the gospel in this passage. To focus on that is to not focus on what God wants us to focus on. That's not to say it's not a sin. That's just to say that we're missing the point if that's what our focus is on this morning. And I'm tempted to do that. I'm, I'm, te I'm tempted to focus on the sin of the sinner instead of the heart of the sinner. Are you? I bet you are, but we're all tempted to do the same types of things. But when we do this, we miss the big picture of what God wants to communicate about how we relate to him. Our lives are not the sum total of our sinful deeds. Our lives are not the sum total of our righteous deeds. But our lives are either lives of faith or lives of works. And those two don't meddle together well. So God, God takes all of us when he gives us the gift of faith and he saves us. And the heart matters so much because the heart of faith is a heart that runs to the Father when it sins. And the heart of works is a heart that runs to itself when it sins to try to save itself. And we see this kind of over and over and over again playing out. So let me, let me finish, we're gonna drill down on that in just a second, but let me finish kind of the narrative of what happens here. Verse 22, Ham, who's the father of Canaan, so the scriptures wanna connect Canaan to Ham, who's, uh, who are related, obviously. When, when, when Ham saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers, he went and told his two brothers outside, then Shem and Japheth took a garment and they laid it on both of their shoulders and, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward and they didn't see their father's nakedness. So after Noah sins, what happens? His youngest son, Ham, sins. And at first when I read this, I thought, you know, what's the big deal? You know, a son saw his dad naked. You know, what's the big deal there? And then I realized that my heart is so numb toward the things that burden God's heart. Because in our culture, uh, nakedness is entertainment for us. It's not something that brings the wrath of God upon our lives. And when was the last time we saw somebody naked in the Bible? Was it not Adam and Eve, right? What happened with Adam and Eve? They, when sin entered into the world through taking of the fruit that was forbidden, shame and guilt began to pervade their minds and they realized that they were naked and that that was a problem. So we're seeing that play out again in the new creation that's happened after this flood. And, but I think there's more that's going on here. I don't think that, that Ham is just mocking his father's drunken escapade here. I think he's mocking his faith. And, and the reason that I think that is because, you know, I mean, Noah was discipling his boys. When, when we read in, in, the, book, in, in the letter of 2 Peter, we, we hear that Noah is a herald of righteousness. And what that means is, is that he's a preacher of righteousness. And his boys, you know what they are? 
PKs. They are preacher's kids. That means they are hearing dad talk about a righteousness that only comes by faith over and over and over again. And you can imagine what that would be like spending 120 years watching your dad build a boat, right? People are coming up as he's building the boat and they're saying, Noah, man, what a loser. What's he doing? He's spending his whole life building this huge boat. There's no water even anywhere close to us. And then Noah is gently rebuking all of those people saying, you know, you're gonna see, judgment's gonna fall upon you. The only way to be right with God is through faith. And he's saying this over and over again and his boys are hearing it and they're picking up on it. And I think Ham is mocking his father's faith, not just his sin here. And it's similar to a child who looks at mom and dad when they get older and you get to this point where you say, you know what, mom and dad, you guys are just as sinful, if not more sinful as, than me. And, uh, and you get to that point, and you're like, man, you, they're such hypocrites. And they realize like, you know, they're saying like, hey, I've been trying to tell you this my whole life, right? Like, like we don't have it together, right? Of course we need God's grace. It's, it's that same kind of uh, demeanor that I think Ham mocks his father's faith. You know, look at this sinner. He thinks he's so much better than me. He thinks he's done so much for God. Yet look at this pitiful wreck of a man. My life isn't that bad after all. This man's a total hypocrite. Imagine that type of a posture in Noah's son, Ham. It's not just about the sin. It's about the faith that his father had. But Shem and Japheth, they, they act differently toward their father's sin. The Bible tells us that, that these men had more of an idea of faith and fathered in the, followed in their father's footsteps. They, they make it a point to cover their father's sin, to cover his vulnerabilities. They, they take a sheet and they each get one shoulder on and they kind of they back in like this and drop it down. But the point is, is that they did not want to exploit their father's vulnerability. You know what I see happen in the church a lot? Christians exploiting one another in their vulnerability and in their sin instead of covering them. Amen? Don't we see that? Not just in this building, but on social media, in our private conversations. I become aware of it whenever I hear my kids saying judgmental things about other people. Because you know what? Our kids are mockingbirds, aren't they? Where is it that you fall short of that standard to cover one another's vulnerability? Because that's what the church is called to do. The church is not called to exploit one another in our vulnerability and in our sinfulness but to remind each other that we are covered under the blood. That's what holds us together, not slinging each other's names through the mud and slandering each other. And that's really what points us to Jesus, the one that finally and fully covers our shame. But it doesn't stop there with the story of Noah. Noah awakes from his wine, verse 24, and he knew what his youngest son had done to him. And he said, cursed be Canaan. Wait, not Ham? Cursed be Canaan, who's the youngest son of his youngest son, Ham. He said he'll, he'll be a servant of servants to his brothers. He also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth in his line. Let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived yet 350 more years, and when he was 950, he died. That's a long life, isn't it? Let me explain a little bit about what's going on with these three families here. Um, the first thing you gotta understand is what is, the, what is the curse? The curse in the Bible is always associated with disobedience and sin. 
with sin's entrance into the world. That's when the curse began. It's the first thing that God did after sin entered the world. Uh, so every time sin emerges, it reveals the curse. The curse has these kind of characteristics. Pain, toil, death, and now the added benefit of slavery. And when we say slavery, for the people of Canaan, it does mean physical slavery. But for everyone who's caught in sin, it means spiritual slavery, that we, are, that, we are, that we are slaves not to God and his ways, but to our own appetites and desires. And so he's, he's, he pronounces that this will be what becomes of, of uh, Canaan's family, which is his son Ham's family. Now, when you think about the people that come from the tribe or the, the, the clan of Ham, it's, it's people like the Egyptians, the Philistines, the Assyrians, and the Babylonians. And all you need to know about them is that those are Israel's worst enemies in the history of the world. All of them are. They're back and forth enslaving one another, murdering one another. It's complete chaos. Slavery ensues. Shem's descendants are different. This, this, is where, what, this is what becomes the Semitic people. Have you ever heard that phrase before? The Jewish people, the Semitic people. This is where Israel will come from where you see Abraham is chosen, not Nahor. When you choose Isaac is chosen, not Ishmael. Jacob, not Esau. Judah, not Joseph. And on and on and on. All the way to Jesus. Jesus will come of this line. And this will be the line that the promise comes from. And even when he's talking to Shem, Noah is, and he's pronouncing this, this blessing on him, he uses the personal name of the Lord. He uses Yahweh to talk about the nature of the promise for those people. And lastly, we have Japheth, who's the other boy. And when he talks to Japheth, he uses not the personal name, but kind of the, the transcendent name of God, Elohim. And he describes this general transcendence and sovereignty over these people. Do you know who the people of Japheth become? The Gentiles. The Gentiles, right? The, the, this is where the Greeks and the Romans will come from, is the people, the, the tribe, the, the clan of Japheth. And what we see about the Gentile people, it's not, that, it's not that God did not love them. It's that, that he had a specific purpose for the Jewish people, especially in the Older, Older Testament. And the Gentiles were always welcome to come in and adopt the culture and customs and faith of the Hebrew people. But then when you see Jesus come, the promise opens all the way up. And we see that the, 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 the gospel is for the whole world. It's not Jew or Greek. It's all or one in Christ. And so you see the promise of God to live by faith expanding. And this is the story that we see in the scriptures. So the big takeaway that I want us to focus in on is this. So we're, we'll spend our last 15 minutes here. That righteousness by faith has always been God's only plan for salvation. Let me say it one more time. Righteousness by faith has always been God's only plan for salvation. And so what we're going to do now is spend the rest of our time figuring out how we stay in the wheelbarrow, all right? So God did not judge the world with the flood and cleanse it so that you can have another chance at trying to save yourself. That wasn't the point. It wasn't like, hey, let me just help these guys start over. They're kind of getting off to a rough start. That's, if that were to be the case, why would God not have talked more about 950 years of Noah's righteous deeds? Instead, what's the first thing that he mentions after the flood? Oh, there's a, there's a promise, there's a covenant, I want to remind you of that, but Noah got drunk and laid naked and his son sinned against him. Out of all of the things that he could have mentioned, 
all of the things that Moses could have written about Noah's life, that's the thing he focuses on. So why does he do that? He does that so that we can see that righteousness by faith is the only way to live. Hebrews 11, 6 and 7, if you're, if you're familiar with the Bible, Hebrews 11 is what we call the hall of faith, right? It's, it's, the, it's the Old Testament chapter that, lo- that connects all of the dots that shows that God has always had one plan of saving his people. It wasn't like, you know, in the Old Testament, he saved people this way. In the New Testament, he saved people this way. It's always been by faith. And so what you read here, we'll start in verse 6, is this. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, to please him. So let that sit with you. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. That means that at the end of your life, if, if the reason why God should save you is anything other than faith, that you believed in Jesus, it's the wrong answer. doesn't matter what your life looks like. Without faith, you will never please God. Without trusting Christ's work alone for your life, you'll never please him. You'll never earn enough money. You'll never have enough accolades. Your children will never behave well enough. Your marriage will never be healthy enough. You'll never give away enough money. Nothing else will ever save you. That's what's happening back in Genesis chapter nine is God is showing the way that he'll save his people. Without faith, it's impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So what's he saying here? The conditions for drawing near to God are having faith and believing that that faith actually earns you something, that it's actually working for you. It's not just this nice thing that you could describe, but it's actually getting in the wheelbarrow. It counts for something in your life day in and day out. Does your faith work for you in that type of a way? When you get into inner turmoil, like Megan was talking about in her prayer time, where do you run? Do you immediately try to start fixing things, fixing people, fixing situations? Or do you surrender to a life by faith in a God that works on our behalf, fights on our behalf? Where is it in your day-to-day living that the disconnect between a life that looks at faith and a life that lives by faith exists? I think it's important for us to consider because I think there are many Christians that live their lives saying that they walk by faith and not by sight, and they're walking by sight. And at the end of the day, what we're robbed of is joy today and eternity with our Father in heaven because we're not really living by faith. And this is why the sin, the individual sin of Noah is like a footnote to the story of faith in God's economy. He goes on to say this in verse seven, Hebrews 11. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning the events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his own household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir. That means that he became, he received an inheritance, right? He became an heir, something, there was a, there was a promise that he was connected to. And what was that of? A righteousness that comes by faith. That means a right standing with God. That means it doesn't matter how many people that I've hurt and sinned against. The only thing that matters is do I trust God more than anything else and trust his plan? Because you know what happens when you walk by faith is is that our, our relationship with sin starts to deteriorate. But when we focus on trying to eliminate sin, you know, like ghost busting it out of our lives, uh, it never works. 
Just like, I mean, the fact that Noah couldn't get sin out of his life, even though sin was out of the world. You have to start with the promise, and then God deals with sin. How do you relate to sin? Are you trying to pick sins off one by one in your own heart? Or do you choose to relate rightly to God and trust him with the outcome and the sanctification of your soul? Now, here's another thing I just want us to to point out here. Noah's sin did not disqualify him from God's calling on his life. How many of us have falsely looked at God's nudging in our lives? And when I mean calling, I mean God, God is leading you into something that's going to require faith. That's what I mean by calling. Meaning you can't see the next steps. It could be, it could be a situation in a relationship. It could be you know, a, a, a call to vocational ministry or to be a missionary. It could be a call to leave your job or to surrender and stay in one place instead of moving up the, the chain in your, your line of work. It could, be, it could be faith to, to, to reach out to someone that you know is far from God. It could be any of those things that would terrify you when you stand in and of yourself. How many of us have falsely looked at those nudgings, those callings on our lives, and we shrug it off because we think God is keeping score on us? We think, you know, there's no way that would ever work because I don't have what it takes. There's no way that would work because, you know what, I'm still dealing with this sin, There's no way that God could love me and call me to be a part of his kingdom in such a way because I don't have my stuff together. Do you think God's trying to communicate something to us through Genesis 9 today? And the one detail that he gives us about Noah's life? That Noah's sin doesn't disqualify him from God's call. That's good news to us, isn't it? That's really good news. Because I can think of a bunch of things that should disqualify me from his call in my life, and not one of them has. And the same is true for all of our lives if we walk by faith and not by sight. We trust him. And so, you know, so what Ham is doing here is he's mocking and slandering righteousness by faith. You know, think about this. Sometimes those self-righteous Pharisees mocked Jesus. They said, this man eats with sinners and tax collectors. Doesn't he know how terrible these people are? And sometimes the Romans mocked Jesus. Remember when he was on the cross? He saved others. Can't he save himself? They both mocked Jesus for the same reason. You know what it is? Because he came to extend a righteousness by faith alone to the world, which meant that it doesn't matter what your, what, which, which family you came from, what sin you were caught up in. None of that mattered. What matters is the fact that God has come to save sinners, and that's us, and declaring that. So, but when Christians refuse to admit that we're all hypocrites, are we not just trying to justify our lives by works and not by faith? When we fail to say like, hey, yeah, no, I've totally blown it. Like I'm actually worse than you. When, when, we, when, we, when we fear going there, what we're trying to do is, is to kind of resurrect or reinvent another way for us to keep scores and convince ourselves that we're in good standing with God apart from Jesus. That's, that's what the history of the world has done over and over and over again. And what you and I are tempted to do over and over and over again, to build our own walls and ladders to get to God on our own efforts and power. Now, Ham, Ham doesn't believe in this type of living. He thinks that his father has disqualified himself because he doesn't understand what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. And that's why this passage is more about a general disposition of faith, a trajectory of a lifestyle of faith, than it is one act of sin. 
But we get hung up on individual sins rather than the condition of our hearts, don't we? I'm not using this angle to preach this sermon to say that sin doesn't matter and doesn't grieve God's heart. What I'm trying to accomplish this morning by the Spirit's power is for us to see that God looks at all of us and desires for us to live in a lifestyle of faith, and then our sin kind of works itself out when we live that way. How many times have you sinned and you just thought, you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do better tomorrow. I'm just gonna, I'll do better tomorrow. Anybody do that? Like you, first thing in the morning you wake up, you sin. Yeah, thank you for raising your hand. That's a, that's a bold man there, I appreciate that. Yeah, hey, all the rest of these guys, they're lying, okay? So you wake up, you know, you, you, have, you have sinful thought or something comes out and you're like, man, you just say, man, I'm gonna do better tomorrow. And what we do when we live that way is we say, I'm gonna live today in condemnation and judgment and not grace and forgiveness. That's not from God, that's from us. Lamentations 3, 21 and 22 says this, but this I call to mind and therefore have hope that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lamentations 3 doesn't say, hey, wait till tomorrow morning, good news is coming. It says his mercies never come to an end. That means that your sin cannot disqualify you from receiving God's mercy when you have a repentant heart that turns toward him. New morning mercy doesn't mean we just set aside a day and just live in condemnation. But how many times do we try to re-erect different ways to save ourselves, thinking, man, maybe that'll change me. To find different ways to prove that we're better than others and that God should love us more. It's the same old thing over and over again. You know who wrote about this was the Apostle Paul. There's this church in Galatia, right? It was a predominantly Gentile church, meaning it wasn't from Shem, it was from Japheth. And, uh, and they, didn't, they didn't hold to the customs that the Jews held. They didn't have this whole culture of food laws and circumcision. And what the Jews wanted to do is they wanted to try to make the Galatian church have the same culture as the Hebrew people. And so they tried to superimpose this like, hey, you know, yeah, it's good to have faith, but you also need to have X, Y, and Z. You know, you need to be circumcised. You need to follow these food laws. You need to do this and that. Translated to today, you don't need to just have faith. You need to give this much money. You don't need to commit those sins because those are the really bad ones. Uh, and by the way, you know, you need to attend church, you know, every week, at least once a week, okay? Those would be the kinds of things that we put, the morality standards that we stack on top of a life of faith. So the, Paul deals with this, and here's what he says. Let's read Galatians 2, starting in verse 17. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, that means to be made right in Christ, that we too find that we're sinners, so he's speaking on behalf of the Jews, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a sinner. So what he's saying here is that, <laughs> that humans want to continue rebuilding the same things of trying to save ourselves, to try to secure ourselves, to try to avoid actually living by faith and getting in the wheelbarrow. And over and over and over and over again, what the church discovers is, is that we're sinners who can only be saved by faith. And so he goes on to say this to this church. For through the law, so the Ten Commandments that came from Moses, I died to the law, meaning they showed me that I couldn't do it on my own, so that I might live to God, I might live by faith. 
And then he says this, really the point is not about me at all. And we could go back and say, it's really not about Noah at all. It's not about Peter at all or Cheryl at all. It's really not about us at all. It's about faith. It's about Jesus. And he says this, because of this, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. It's no matter about me making my own system to justify myself before God because none of them ever worked and they just wore me out. And the life that we now live, we, we live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So it's counterintuitive because we think that living by faith is a cop-out. It seems like, oh, anybody could do that. Well, no, no, not anybody can, because look how many people don't. Think about that. Think about your own soul, how you came to faith. Think about those that you love. Only people who receive the gift of faith can live the life of faith. And Jesus wants to extend that to his people. It's not even about us at all. It's about Jesus alone. It's not about what you can pull together, clean yourself up. In fact, those things can keep you from being saved. Through the law, this awareness of sin comes about. It's like Noah's rebellion against God on his drunken and naked escapade. We see that Noah was a favored man who was righteous. He didn't have a righteousness that came from a bunch of good stuff he did, but rather faith in a sovereign God who loves sinners. God could have instructed Moses to write down all those good things that Noah did, and he didn't, because we would use them as a ladder to try to get ourselves to God. But instead, God, here's what God wants to tell us this morning through his word. That even after the flood, the only way is by grace through faith. And that means this, that after your best decision that you've ever made and your worst decision that you've ever made, God never changes. And that's really, really good news for a bunch of people who think that he does. He doesn't change one single bit. And that's why we can say that our heart matters than our, more than our good works or our bad sins. And the place that God took Noah is in that wheelbarrow, that kind of tightrope faith. Noah was done with his own righteousness as a way to save himself. And my question to you as we close out this morning is, are you? Are you to the place where you're just done trying to make it happen on your own? Are you just worn out trying to cover up your tracks, trying to pretend you're something that you're not? Could it be that the Spirit is trying to get you to the end of yourself so that you might actually say that, that Christ lives, I've been crucified with him, he lives in me now? I want you to consider that as we turn the table. Let's, let's close our eyes. I want to read a passage of scripture over you, and I want this to wash over you. I'm going to read it a couple times. Um, and I'm going to ask the band to, to come on up as they're preparing to lead us in worship here. This comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. And my prayer for you this morning is that these words would become your words. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we, we are his workmanship, his poem, 
created in Christ Jesus for those good works, which God actually prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let me read it one more time. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works. That way no one can boast. For we, as his people, we're his workmanship, his poem, his creation, his design. And we're created in Christ Jesus for those good works that he prepared so that we could spend our lives walking in them. Father, would you make this anthem the anthem of our lives? Father, would you take us to the end of ourselves that we would see that the, that the very thing that we try to avoid, a life by faith, is the very thing that can keep us from you. Father, I pray that you would send us into free fall this morning, into such a place where the only plan for our lives is a life lived by faith. It's not with the safety net with all these other American trimmings, but it's faith alone. And God, would you graciously strip away every other thing that we trust in our lives to get us to the end of ourselves that we might be able to join Paul and say, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live by faith in the Son of God who died for me and gave himself for me. Would that be our story this morning, Father? Lead us to the end of ourselves so that we can find real life. Pray that in Christ's name. Amen.